Open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll begin with verse 10 and read to verse 12. Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. The word of the Lord says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word. The inspired Apostle Paul, beginning with verse 19 in chapter 5, has been helping these early Christians in Ephesus and by proxy us today, who are also standing in the church of Christ, to understand exactly how to live a spirit-filled life. That's why he spent so much time since chapter 5, verse 19, up until now, uh, doing this. We recall that in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul demonstrated how to cultivate spirit-filled hearts. Spirit-filled hearts. Through thanksgiving, being thankful through praising God, no matter the circumstances. Remember, he said, in all things. And being submitted to genuine biblical authority. And then in verse 22, for a big chunk of this letter, all the way to where we left off last week in chapter 6, verse 9, he was teaching us how to live uh, and have a spirit-filled home. And it's interesting that after that section of how to be a Christian in your home, he goes right into spiritual warfare. And that just highlights what I was trying to bring to the forefront of our minds last week when talking about a spiritual home. As I mentioned in the first message this morning, it is one of the hardest places to be a Christian. And no doubt these Ephesians who have been brought out of darkness into the light as Paul has already communicated to them, who already, uh, through his admonitions, realize that, yes, there is some work to do upon my conversion of putting on the new man and putting off the old man. Paul now comes to this portion of Scripture that really is one of the most fundamental, important, practical aspects of our Christian life, and that is how to have and move forward a spirit-filled life in battle. Now, you may have noticed right away there was a lot of good biblical language in those verses. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, power, so forth and so on. But brothers and sisters, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? What does it mean to be uh, possessing the power of His might, Brother Aaron? Because there's sometimes I feel like I don't have the power of His might. Amen? There's sometimes that I don't feel like uh, I can put on this armor to stand against the wiles of the devil. And already, me approaching an understanding of the meaning of these words, I'm missing the point of what He's meaning in the words. Because it's not about how I feel. It's, 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 it's not so much to do with the emotional aspect of myself as a Christian to be strong in the Lord and to have the power of His might and to put on the armor. It's much more than that. And that's what Paul's wanting to do here for us as Christians to help us think through how to have and to engage in spirit-filled battle. And so I propose that we handle this text with first realizing in verse number 2 He shows us some preparatory work to prepare us for spirit-filled battle. Okay, 
And then in verse 11, he wants to show us what's the desired goal in this battle. Any battle when you have a, a pre-war room conference has objectives. It has goals. You know, the general or the captain says, this is the ultimate goal. We want to take down this stronghold. We want to do this. We want to do that. Well, this is what comes to the surface in verse 11 of this battle that the Christians, that you and I are in. What's, what's the ultimate goal? And then in verse 12, he gives us an insight to the foes that we're encountering in this battle. So let's look first just and consider some preparatory work before we enter into a spirit-filled battle. All right? And in doing so, a lot of these phrases, be strong in the Lord, the power of His might, are going to be really kind of brought to the surface and help us see a little bit clearer how spiritual warfare is engaged in. Okay, What elements consist of it and, and, and what parts are working there in the act of spiritual warfare. It begins all right here in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Well, the first commandment He tells us is to be strong. Let's just look at that together. Okay, Preparing oneself to engage in spirit-filled battle. The phrase, be strong, it carries with it in the Greek the idea to be strong, to be endued with strength, with strength, to strengthen, listen to this, to receive strength, be strengthened, and increase in strength. That's why in the, the Bible it's translated, as we have it here, be strong. It's translated strengthen, increase in strength. And one time it's, it's translated be made strong. Okay, So that's almost like something's enabling me to be strong. right? Now the surface of that phrase, to be strong or to be made strong, it comes out really good in Hebrews 11, 32 through 34. Listen to this, and this is what is being mean. This is what's meant right here by "be strong in the Lord." This is the hall of the heroes of the faith here. That's that's being described. You know the context. What shall I say more? The author of Hebrews says, "For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David and also Samuel." and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the vines of fire, escaped the edge of the thorn, out of weakness were, same Greek worker here, they were made strong. It's translated right here in our verse, be strong. There it's translated made strong. Okay, same concept though. They waxed valiant in fight, and they turned the flight, the armies, of the aliens. That's why in some translations this phrase isn't translated be strong. It has a better translation, which I commend to you, to be strengthened. Finally, be strengthened. This is the New English translation. Christian Standard Bible has this translation. It's a good translation because it carries with it more the idea of what's being conveyed here. Finally, my brethren, I hope that you will be strengthened in the Lord to prepare yourselves for the battle that you're going to be soon encountering. And so, beloved, in preparing for spirit-filled battle, here is, if you're taking notes, the first and the fundamental underlining principle in preparation for spiritual warfare. Successfully waging spiritual war is first and foremost recognizing our weakness, our inability, brother, our own limitations, and recognizing that the strength that was required must be supplied to us from outside of ourselves. It's not as if I can look at you and say, hey, come on, shape up, man. Be strong in the Lord. No. What I need to say to you is, brother, you know what? You are weak. You can't do it. You have no hope in this warfare. Oh, but let us pray that God would strengthen you as He did Gideon, as He did Samson, as He did Barak. Let's look to God Almighty who has the ability to give you strength to face the situation you're facing in your life, young sister. You see, that's the, that's, that's, that's the meaning here. That's the first fundamental step of realizing how to enter spiritual warfare. It's that I can't do it. <laughs> I have to look outside of myself. 
Amplifying the Lord's power. Amplifying His might. And minimizing our own. Because let us be clear about something at this point. If you are at this moment in your Christian life trying to engage with spiritual warfare, which we're going to unpack that a little more, if you are trying to use any of the pieces of the armor, which we're going to deal with next Sunday, Lord willing, the six pieces of armor, in your own strength, it's going to be an absolute disaster. You're going to be finding defeat after defeat after defeat. You're going to be feeling like we talked about this morning, uh, that you are discouraged, disappointed, and, and you want to give just throw the towel in in this war. So, first fundamental point of preparing for spirit-filled battle, Paul wants you to understand, is that the Lord has and, and, and will, we will see shortly, He will strengthen us. Now, this is why Paul is, in a sense, returning our minds back to the idea that it's through the Spirit we're provided the needed strength. Now, I know this sounds all like, you know, and it is biblical language, but, but where does the rubber meet the road, right? This being provided, the strength through the Spirit. Well, what, what does that mean? Does that mean I wake up one day and I just feel a little bit more uh, holy? Does it mean I wake up one day and I, I just feel a little bit more like obeying the Lord? Like, what does this stuff mean, guys? When, when someone tells you from the pulpit, be strengthened in the Lord. The, the Lord will, will fill you with your Spirit. He'll strengthen you through His Spirit. Well, well How? What, what does it really mean? It sounds good, and I know it's in the Bible, and those are biblical words, but I want to know how this happens. And I think Paul's drawing, he's just elevating at this point where we're at and being strengthened in the Lord, back to the idea that the Spirit will do this. God will strengthen us. He mentioned this back in chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. If you want to turn, you can. You don't have to. I can read it to you. Uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. Listen to what he said there. For this cause... He just laid out how he was called to be a minister, you know, to the gospel. And he, and he here says, For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened, here it is, with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Well, at least we know at this point, Levi, to be strengthened by the Spirit, to be strengthened in the Lord, it has to do something with the inner man. right? And we delineated what the inner man was when we looked at this the last time. It's the seat of our conscience. It's the seat by which, um, in the palace of our mind, the Spirit engages with us. And so to be strengthened by the Spirit, going back to what we preached in chapter 3, we have to recall what Paul has already instructed us, is that to be strengthened through the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be prepared in the Spirit, it doesn't bypass your mind and just tickle your feelings. To be strengthened in the Spirit doesn't dis and unplug your intellect and the faculty of your reasoning and your faculty of discernment and using your mind and you wake up and say, boy, I feel like I'm filled with the Spirit today. Oh, I'm just so happy. Let's sing a song before I go to work, honey. Come on, wake up. I'm just filled with the Spirit. No. No, no, no. It has to deal with the mind. Being filled with the Spirit, the way the Spirit strengthens you is He engages your mind, your inner man. Now, we understand the first step in preparing to be engage for spiritual battle, right? That we have to look to the Lord. Oh God Almighty, strengthen me in my inner man. Oh God Almighty, take my thinking, take my reasoning, take my inner man and help me see exactly what it is you want me to see so that I may be strengthened to engage in this battle, right? I know the blueprint. I know the war plan. But it's key to see that even with that, we have to be in the Lord. He uses this phrase, in the Lord. The next key to understanding what is meant to be strengthened in the Lord is the apostle's use of this phrase, in the Lord. Notice that he doesn't say, be strengthened, which I believe is a, is a better translation. Be strengthened by the Lord. He says, be strengthened in the Lord, which I believe is the correct translation of the Greek. Why do I say that? I only say that because I have to stress the point 
that there is one modern translation that has deviated from that translation of in the Lord, and they've translated in the Bible uh, uh, by the Lord, right? And it's the only one. So which one is it? Is it be strengthened in the Lord or by the Lord? And I, and I have to unpack this for you. I usually don't do this because in the Lord is the right translation, and I'm about to show you why, in preparation for spiritual warfare. Now, out of all the, the more modern translations, uh, New King James, New Living Transmission, NIV, ESV, NS, they all retain that phrase, in the Lord, that translation. All right, But which one's correct? How can we know it should be in the Lord or by the Lord? Well, consider just this. This is a good way to when you're trying to compare translations of the Bible. This is just a, You don't have to have a PhD in Greek. You don't have to have all that. You can just use these simple tools. How many times in the Bible is this very same Greek word, which is pronounced in, it's actually pronounced in, like it looks like it's in the English. How many times is it translated as the word in, I-N, right? 1,900 some odd times, almost 2,000 times. It's translated by, B-Y, only 160 some odd times. So right there, you automatically see like, well, are we really right about this, you know? Um, but then... When you look at the, the etymology, the, 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 the root word from which that word's a derivative of, and, and you look how it's breaked out, listen to, the, listen to how, how, how it comes out here, and it becomes clear how it ought to be translated. It is a primary presupposition which denotes a fixed position in place, a fixed position in time, or a fixed position in a state. Right? So, the idea is, Paul's saying, in your preparation for being engaged in spirit-filled battle, is first, you've got to be strengthened by God. And second, the only way to be strengthened by Him is if you're fixed in a state in Him. Right? Well, how does that happen? It happens through Jesus. This is how we're fixed in the Lord. We can't be moved, brother, in the Lord. Right? So, so there has to be union in the Lord, and there has to be communion. You can't have union without communion. Why do we know that? Well, ironically, in our family worship this week, we found ourselves in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. And listen to how this union with Christ, right, comes by and with communion. You can't have communion without union in Christ. Listen. Where Jesus says in that text, John 15, 4 through 5, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We have to abide, we have to stay in communion, and always look to our union with Christ, which gives us what? the communion with the Lord before we can even begin to step out on the battlefield. The moment we get our eyes off of our union with Christ is the very moment that we're most susceptible to being what? Attacked by the wiles of the devil, which we're going to see in just a moment. So let us be strengthened by the Lord, by the strength of His Spirit, Ephesians chapter 3 we saw, in the interman, uh, captivating all of us as the interman, right? And then let us constantly, Paul saying, in the Lord, what? Look to His power and His might. Another important aspect of preparing for spiritual warfare. The strengthening from the Lord is granted to us through our union with Jesus and our communion with God through God the Son, Jesus, And apart from Him, as I said, and John testified to, we cannot do nothing. But in Christ, we have at our disposal all the strength which the text calls the power of His might. Well, at least at this point, we can say that we understand, in a sense, some practical uh, principles that help us to begin to approach putting on armor. Number one, I can't do it alone. I have to look to Him. And number two, I have to always keep in front of my mind that Jesus has called me as one of his children. We're reminded by this every time we take the Lord's Supper, right? No, I I, I confess him with my mouth. Um, I, I seek to live for his glory in my life. 
And, and yes, I've had my teeth kicked in this week in spiritual warfare, but I have union with the Lord. I can claim His promises. Uh, he can look upon me and, and He can see His Son and He will help me. Uh, I have to wait on the Lord, etc., etc. Okay? Two important things. When you fail in either one of those two things, start working off and operating off in spiritual warfare your emotions and getting your eye on what the gospel says in Christ you already possess, you, you're not preparing for spiritual warfare. Okay, But what's it mean to be strengthened in the Lord, as the text says, through the power of His might? Or rather, I'm sorry, in the power of His might. Well, let's consider that together. And to do so, I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1. So just flip back a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 1. Be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of His might. Well, well, well what's His might? Does, does this power of might, again, is it a mystical thing? It, it, you know, is it some kind of supernatural gift that I get, that I feel, and I can, you know, like uh, perform exorcisms against the forces of darkness? Like, like what is the power of His might? What's Paul saying here? Well, let us just take a moment and look at verses 17 to 23, okay? And I believe this is what Paul is wanting to put in the forefront of how we're to be strengthened in the Lord, looking to the Lord in our union with Christ, and the power which the Lord has exhibited, the might the Lord has exhibited in the resurrection of Jesus. Watch. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. We unpacked that before. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. Now, doesn't that echo what we just talked about, keeping your eye on the cross, keeping your eye on the union, that you may know what is the hope of His calling? Okay, And what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of, here it is, His power to usward who believe, according to the working of, here's that phrase, mighty power, power of might, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him on His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power, same Greek words that we have floating around in verse 12 of our text today. He raised him up far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which has come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The third important fundamental principle and preparing ourselves to engage in spiritual warfare to any, to any degree appropriating to ourselves for utilizing any of the six pieces of armor is to recognize our limits, but, but our Lord's uh, infinite power and glory and, and ability to help us. It is two, to see not only our union with, with the Lord in and through Jesus Christ, but, oh, beloved, to realize that it was the display of His power and might that is also ours in His resurrection. In His resurrection. That's the power of His might. Keep forever, brother, in the battle that on the resurrection day, the war was already won. Okay? Resurrection Day was like D-Day in World War II. You guys know that on D-Day, right, the, the Allies right, landed, they unpacked the boats, and our fathers, our forefathers, Levi, they were mowed down by the Germans like they were just grass in a field getting mowed with a lawnmower. 
blood and sacrifice spilled on the beach. But they kept pressing, they kept pressing, and because of their great courage, because of the great strength and the boldness and the courage and the zeal that God gave those men to defeat evil and tyranny, guess what? A year later, victory came. But from D-Day to Victory Day, there was a lot more fighting that had to take place, right? But the reason it's called D-Day is because that was the day that the war was decided. And that's what Paul's saying right here in preparation for spiritual warfare is that you've got to realize in those times when you have a setback, in those times when you sense a defeat, that guess what? Guys, look to the resurrection because it's going to remind you this war is already finished. This war is already decided. This war has already been won by Christ. And it's the power of His might, the power of me looking upon that, that, well, by faith, that power of looking upon that truth because God's Word says so, but also even in the historical accounts, right? Our, our Bibles validate those historical accounts. So there was a man named Jesus, and there is an account of a resurrection, and there was a governor named Pontius Pilate. And guess what, world, and encourage you Christians today, Jesus rose from the dead. That is the grandest display of the power of His might over this war. Now, when you are about or engaged in that, victory, or in that war, and as I said, you really mess up and you get off the war plan and you need to come back and get on the plan, Christ has already won the victory. Okay? You just need to get back in the fight. You need to realize that Whatever happens, it's victory unto victory. If you die in the middle of the act, if you lose your whatever in the middle of the act, you know, you might have to swallow a little pride, you might have to swallow a little, you know what I'm saying, uh, ego or whatever. Guess what? It's victory. It's victory. The already, meaning it's accomplished, but not yet the consummation of it, is what we're living in now. This is the spirit battle we're in now. We know with faith that this has already happened. And I think that the, these verses in Ephesians 1, 17-23 we just looked at, they're a glorious summation of the victorious gospel. And as such, they give us, I believe, our third underlining principle to prepare. Remember, we're just talking about preparing for spirit-filled battle. The third principle principle is to draw upon the victorious, triumphant promise that through Christ's resurrection, we too will say with Paul, O death, where is thy sting? That's the third principle. You receive, I should say, you see. You receive strength from the power of His might by looking to the objective truth that your Lord, your Savior, who died upon the cross, did indeed rise from the dead, and He has promised you that same victory over the dead. So to be strengthened in the power of His might, get out of your head this mystical, emotional, kind of spiritual feeling. Yes, indeed, it's spiritual. Yes, indeed. The Spirit communicates to the palace of your mind the reality of that truth which caused you to bow your knee and humble yourself before the cross of Christ. And it's that same use of truth that the Spirit's going to fuel you fuel you to engage everything that sets itself up against the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ. So the power of His might isn't something mystical you've got to pray for. Oh, I hope I can feel it. God, please come closer to me. Please help me. He's already given you the truth. Embrace the truth. Reread the truth. How many times in our families do we get in a sense of the depths of spiritual warfare and we have to crack open a fresh account of what Jesus did upon the cross? Don't we, brother? I hope, I, I don't know about you, but in my walk with the Lord, there's been times where I just have to go right back to the Gospel of Matthew and read what Jesus did, what He endured, and what He suffered. Right? i gotta, I got I to gotta soak it in. i got to hear it again. i got to hear that old, old story again. And it's through the use of that truth bearing upon my conscience, reaffirming again and again that this is truth. This is, this is truth been made known to me that I've experienced that fuels me 
for the warfare to keep going. So I hope all of that kind of helps us in understanding this encouraging at times, but sometimes ambiguous language when we hear it being thrown around. I'll be strengthened in the Lord. You know, claim the power of His might, brother. You see, that's not helpful a lot of times, especially for us who are trapped, amen, in the remnants of the flesh and we have bad days and can be grumpy and things you know, go wrong and we don't feel like we got the power of the Lord and I can't even lift up my voice to even try to claim it, brother. In our preparations for spiritual battle, before we move on to verse 11, we must seek the Lord's strengthening. Stay close in communion with God by recognizing our union with Him through the gospel of Jesus Christ and never take our spiritual eye off the accomplished victory displayed in Christ's resurrection. Now, what's the desired goal of this battle? Okay, we, we, we know something about how to be prepared for it. What is the desired goal? Oh, I bet you the desired goal is we're going to kick the gates of hell down. Right Now that we got these things in our minds and brother, we're prayed up and we understand that these are absolute truths. Jesus Himself has kicked open the doors of death and He's risen triumphantly in pomp and glory on His great ascension and we as His church are here. We are going to kick Satan down all the way to the bottoms of, the, of, of, of Hades, right? That's not what happens in verse 11. Look at your Bibles. What's the desired goal in this battle? After you've been prepared, put on the whole armor of God. We'll deal with that next week. That ye may be able to stand. To stand. That's the goal. That's the desired goal in spirit-filled battle. Not advance. Not be <laughs> looking at Isaac here, young guy. You know, he wants to hear, like, you know blood-soaked, sore victory triumphant guy, right? As a, engaged in spirit battle. I just rebuked de- the devil and, and I'm claiming victory. I got my boot on his chest. No. You're just to stand. We know that's the case because in verse 13, having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand. I suggest to you that Paul is presenting us here that the desired goal and outcome for every single one of us as a blood-bought child of Christ, the overall goal, goal, beloved, is just to simply stand. We see this from this key word. It's used in the Bible 116 times translated stand, uh, five times established, four times stand still. Boy, we don't like that, do we? And then three times stand by. Just stand by. Because remember, God's, God's got this thing under control. The verb stand carries with it the idea to hold one's position continually and you get the sense in the context of spiritual warfare that Paul's just telling us as Christians to stand still while we are being attacked. While the darts are coming at us, while things are are flying over our heads, oh, just dig your heels in and don't give an inch of ground away. Just stand firm. Stand firm. As I said before, this isn't what we would come to expect, especially following meditations of a victorious King Jesus raising from the grave and the power of His mind. We just, in the previous verse, we're, we're called our attention to that. We, 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 we would expect, you know, to, to just hear something different. Take dominion. Do exorcisms. Paul, now give us the list of how to conquer demons and cast them out into swine. No. Finally, my brethren, stand. My desire for you is that you be discovered not having abandoned your post, which, which, listen to this, which His electing grace has called you unto, and by His providence, He has stationed you. Brother Colin, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is telling you, dear brother, that His ultimate desire in every spiritual battle you find yourself in is that you're found on that great day we read about in chapter 24 of Isaiah to be found standing faithful in your confessing of Christ as the risen Lord and King as His electing love has called you unto and that in His providence throughout your life at that time He sees you on that great dear brother that you haven't abandoned your position of where He's placed you 
as a father, as a husband, amen, as a faithful churchman who's here when I'm weak, brother, to encourage me. Who, who, who you see, when, when one of the young boys here need to look at someone who's not going to give in in the spiritual fight, they can look and say, you know what, I know that brother's got problems and he's not ashamed to admit it, but I see him pleading the blood of Christ, pleading the victory of this resurrection of the cross. You see? Stand. Stand. All of us in here could elevate and, and show up a banner of the things that have pushed us back, that have you know, caused us to lose ground, and we have not yet surrendered the great call of this electing love in our life. We have not yet abandoned Christ. And perhaps we've even been shifted from the position He stationed us at. And we're coming back to His Word and we're saying, Lord, I got off track. Yes, yes, yes. But Lord, I'm going to regain that ground. Okay? There could be some marriages in here. You've lost some ground. Are you going to stand? Are you going to reclaim the ground? Are you going to be found, you know, on that last day as one who is still just standing and everything's flying around you and, and, and you're scared? You want to give up, but you're not going to, Natalie. You're going to stand. You're going to hope in Him. You're going to be strengthened by Him. How? Because of what you know to be true about the resurrection. You're going to stand firm on those promises. How in the world could any other Christian around the world who is suffering severe persecution stand? That's how, isn't it? They're not looking at their circumstances, brother. They're looking and remembering the experiential, effectual call in their lives of the gospel when Jesus found them covered in the blood and the iniquities of their own sin, demonstrated to them His great love and His glory unto them for, for them as sinners as such. They're remembering that and they're remembering all the promises and the victory that Jesus has accomplished. This standing is no mere posture of passivity to be sure even though it carries with that idea just to stand still you know in the midst of conflict and be found faithful in that that posture especially in light of what's uh, in the following verses we know that it's not just a posture of passivity it, it involves some things and we we see in a similar admonition from James that helps us to understand this point that it's not just a posture of passivity James 4 7 resist the devil and he'll flee from you Stand against the devil. To stand. To resist means to withstand. To strive against or to oppose. How? Well, you do so with the first armor of truth. You do it with truth. That's, the, that's how you stand, Levi. So, we're to stand. We're to resist. And how do we do it? We do it with truth. That's how we do it. You don't find anywhere in the Bible, uh, except for Jesus, um, I'm sorry, I misspoke. We are not encouraged in anywhere in the Bible, we as Christians, after the followers of Jesus, to be rebuking the devil, to be casting out demons. We're, we're admonished to stand, to resist. That's what, that's what we're admonished to do, right? The things that we're supposed to stand against and resist with truth is the wiles of the devil, this is what we see next in the verse. The ultimate goal is to simply stand and be found faithful in our position. And the thing that we're supposed to stand against, that we're supposed to oppose, our posture of standing, our posture of resistance, is not passive, but it's active against the wiles of the devil. So don't get this idea that, you know, we just stand there and as standing, as resisting, we're not somehow engaged somehow. No, no, no. Remember, your mind's always engaged. And this is what comes forth in understanding how we resist the wiles of the devil. Interestingly, the word translated wiles in the Greek is only found in one other place in the New Testament. And guess where? In this letter to the Ephesians. Now I want to look at it because I think it helps set up for us verse number 12 and the consideration of who our foes are in the battle. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 as we consider the wiles of the devil. And remember, this is going to somewhat set up for us a better understanding of who our foes are in the next verse. Paul here, of course, those who have been with us going through this epistle, is um, really encouraging these Christians 
to employ and to, and to put into practice the truth that he's expounded to them in chapters 1 through 3 of who they are as children of light, the resurrection of Jesus. And now he says with this admonition, verse 14 of chapter 4, Henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they, here it is, same Greek, translated here, lie in wait. That's wiles, translated in our verse. They lie in wait to deceive. Now at this point, we simply see that the meaning of this phrase is teaching us something about the necessity of being awake of what Paul is saying in these final words. You know, we better take this stuff seriously because Satan, like these men who were flesh and blood, is seeking to deceive us. He is seeking in his wiles to trick us. The devil, in other words, is actively up to crafty and cleverly schemes wiles to bring us harms, much like these foes that are mentioned in verse 4 of chapter 4. Now the wiles of the devil are many to be sure. He has thousands of years. He has had thousands of years to study man. See his reaction to temptations. Study uh, the proximity of his emotional composure to certain things and allurements. However, for our purpose today, and I don't have much time, I just want us to briefly consider just a few that we know to be true from Scripture that are wiles of the devil that we're called to stand but not in a passive way, resist with truth. And I keep pointing to my head here, guys, because this truth that we have been given by the Holy Spirit is what strengthens us, it's what equips us, and it's what helps us in this battle. The moment you check out your mind in spiritual battle as regulated by the Word of God, you're a casualty. Consider that one of the wiles of the devil, the first one exhibited in Scripture, is he challenges God's Word. He challenges it. You remember in Genesis 3? Did God really say? Doesn't He? He tries to challenge the clear meaning of the Bible, Levi. We hear a lot of this today uh, going on. Well, yeah, the Bible seems to suggest that, but... And it's real clear. I mean, you know, we, we, we dealt with roles in the church. I mean, this stuff that the church is wrestling with today is like, you've got to be kidding me. You're trying to put that much of a spin on that verse. It's so plain in the meaning. So the, one of the wiles of the devil is to come against you as a Christian and change the meaning of the plain sense of the word, right? He tries to challenge God's word. Now, you know, he also, and you perhaps have experienced this. I don't know. Maybe you're experiencing it right now today. He challenges God's love and faithfulness to us. How does this happen? Well, sometimes it can happen through other people. You remember the, the wife of Job? Uh, Job going through serious afflictions. Oh, Job, just curse God and die, right? Well, Satan was, through his wife, telling Job, God doesn't love you. If, if God really loved you, going back to our first message to resist discouragement, if God really loved you, these people would receive your words of truth. Uh, you wouldn't be sick. If God really loved you and really one of His, things would go better in your marriage because, after all, you're trying everything you can, but they're just not reciprocating the, the efforts. You see how that works? God doesn't really love you. That's one of the wiles of the devil. This is why, going back to verse 10, in spiritual warfare, you have to be in the Lord. Union with Christ in the Lord, remembering the power of His might displayed at the victorious resurrection. Another while of the devil, similar to the first one, is he likes to twist Scripture. Uh, he'll use Scripture, but he likes to twist it. Um, you know, one of the probably most, uh, we were doing this in our family worship the other night, uh, one, of the, one of the most familiar accounts of him trying to do this, and it baffles your mind, is when he was tempting the Lord Jesus. And he was quoting Psalms 91. And he starts with verse 11, but stops with verse 12, and doesn't go to the very next verse, which is a prophecy against his own defeat. You know? Now, we all as a family were thinking to ourselves, that was just a, a, a red flag that Satan, really, as a created angel, did not understand at all what God was doing with his redemptive plan in Jesus. You know, I mean, the devil is such a fool. He, he, he doesn't know all things. He's not God. He doesn't possess that knowledge. I mean, he, he, he watched it all happen before his eyes and he's sitting back and laughing at times when Jesus is what? Suffering. When Jesus was being mocked. 
But believe me, he wasn't laughing on the resurrection day. He knew the jig was up. He knew I had it all wrong. But in the temptation of Jesus, you remember he quotes verses 11 and 12 of Psalms 91. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to present to Jesus by twisting the word that he could have what had been promised to him or what he was entitled to, but do it a different way, right? All you have to do is worship me and you can have all of this. Well, if you read verses 13, 14, and 15, the Father already promised it all to him. Jesus knew, but it wouldn't be gained, it wouldn't be had without trial, without suffering, which Jesus was going to be obedient unto. So Satan tries to come along to you, brother. He tries to come to you, sister. He tries to come along to you. And he tries to take things in the Bible and twist them to such a degree that you could still have them and you could still accomplish them, but just do it His way. Not entirely the pattern of the Scriptures. So what's He trying to do there? Get you shifted from truth. He's wanted you to think in such a way that's not in complete conformity to His Word. That's one of His wiles. Again and again, this is how He gets to us. He tries to attempt us to shift our thinking from what God's Word says. Well, time doesn't permit me, but one, one of the most dangerous, subtle ways of the wiles of the devil is to cloak sin or temptation with religion. You don't have to go to church on Sunday to worship the Lord. You could read your Bible, you can pray, and you can sing songs to God at home. After all, brother and sister so-and-so, they did treat you rather unchristian-like, you see. And so you're still going to worship God, cloaked with religion, but you're going to do it in the privacy of your own home, right? Yeah, you shouldn't really live together outside of marriage, but doing so will put you in closer proximity to share the gospel witness in your life, your Christian life with that person, and you could be a vital instrument in their conversion. You see, there's a, there's a good kind of moral to the motive, but what? It's cloaked with religion, but it still goes outside of God's Word, doesn't it? Thomas Watson, I had a long quote, but I'll shorten it. He says, he, he tempts many a man to covetousness under the pretense of providing for his family. You get it? Yeah, I'm going to, you know, I know we haven't really been leading in family worship or I haven't been bringing my family, you know, to the Word of God and leading them in prayer, so forth and so on. Uh, but, 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 but I'm getting that overtime, you see. Uh, I'm still getting that and I'm still getting this and I'm providing for them. You see, it's cloaked in a moral of duty as a man and a father should have. Wiles of the devil. Now, I just mentioned to you that this word, this phrase in the Greek, um, that we just looked at in Ephesians 4 where it says lie and wait about the guys who were trying to deceive the Christians. Um, I told you it was important to set up for us what's next in this verse. And um, let's look at verse 12 now together. We've considered that the preparations are necessary for a spirit-filled battle. In verse number 10, verse 11, the end goal of the spirit-filled battle, we've considered that. Now we're moving to verse number 12 to consider the foes whom we battle. The text says, we wrestle, some translations, good translations, we, we strive, okay, there's that, there's that engagement, it's not just passive, we, we do, uh, we, we oppose, we use the truth, we stand, we, 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 we wrestle, uh, I'm sorry, we stand, we resist, and in doing so, we strive not, it says, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, this phrase, principalities and powers, it occurs six times in the authorized version translation. And in our most immediate context is this letter of Ephesians. I want you to look at a couple places with me. We see Paul using this same Greek phrase in two other places. Turn to Ephesians 1.21. Ephesians 1.21. He says, far above, here, you know, here what he's doing, he's exalting as we just saw a moment ago, who? Christ and, and, and the victory of Christ. 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not in this world, but also in that which is to come. Above all principalities and power. Jesus Christ is set up above all of these things. Okay, we, we kind of see that. You're talking, you're not restricting these principalities just on a, a local level, not just in a heavenly level, not just in a, in, in a spiritual realm called hell level. It's above all principalities and powers. Okay, we got that. Turn to Ephesians 3.10. It becomes explicitly clear here. To the intent that now under the principalities, there's that word that's translated in verse 12 for our text today, and powers, where? In heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Okay? So we're we're getting to see that these principalities and powers, yes, on the surface does just mean what? The spiritual dark realm. It means something other than the physical world. Like the text plainly on the surface says. We don't strive against flesh and blood. But principalities and powers. And these principalities and powers are other than. They're not things we can see. In Christ and His power and His glory, He's been risen above all of these principalities and powers. Now turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2. And we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. Remembering, we want to ascertain and and understand the foes of the battle. Ephesians 2, 2, verses 2 and 3. Now, he's describing you and I before conversion. And we dealt with this, but let's listen how he describes this. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's what he's talking about in verse 12, that power, this prince this ruler, right? You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among also, we all had our conversation in past times in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Paul clearly is speaking then in our text of dark spiritual principles of power which entice and sway the unregenerate mind to walk in lockstep agreement with whatever it suggests. But going back to what we see in chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 entices the mind. We are responsible for the powers of darkness presenting before us what we already desire and we choose to do, none of us in here in verses 2 to 3 could say, well, the prince of the power of the air may be doing. No, 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 no. No. Ye walked, you walked according to the course of this world in times past in the lust of your flesh to fulfill the desires of the flesh and of your mind. Okay? Because when we start getting into these discussions about recognizing the reality of dark spiritual forces at play and being our enemies, we real quick can begin to give them way too much credit. We can begin to give them way too much power than what they really have. Alright? We all were under their sway, their power. This is how we looked at it when we were going through at that time. And we demonstrated that we're not going to be forced by a demon to do something that we haven't already hardened our hearts to be blind unto and, and we've already conditioned ourselves to want to do. Alright? Now, to enunciate this, to, to really amplify our culpability, we have to when we're talking about the powers of the darkness and the reality of their existence. I'm going to just read for you Ephesians 4.18. He said, Having the understanding darkened, their, their minds full of darkness, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. The hardness of their heart. That's what's led to, to, to such a position of being against the truth. Their own hardening of their heart enticed by the powers of the, 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 the prince of the air, swaying, captivating through his melodious song of fulfillment, all of the, the vanities and the things that lost 
the lost, including us before Christ, desire and really want. Okay, then. On the immediate surface, then, of verse number 12, this verse is doing two things for us regarding our foes in this battle. It's announcing the spiritual, and it, on the surface, is denouncing the physical, isn't it? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Levi. It's denouncing the physical, and it's clearly announcing the spiritual. However, we know from the text we just looked at a moment ago, and trying to understand the Greek meaning of the word while, we know that Natalie, there are physical people in flesh and blood trying to come at us and deceive us, don't we? We understand that, don't we, Sister Cox? Well, is Paul contradicting himself that our enemies in this battle are just spiritual and we never have physical? No, he's not contradicting himself. We have to just see how do these two things fit together. He's teaching them to understand that the men spoken of, the flesh and blood, in chapter 4, verse 14, who are cunning, who are crafty, like their father the devil, those men behind them have a totally different power and a spiritual reality that they are under that are doing those things. So in other words, there is no man merely by himself your enemy. This war is way bigger than that. The person who's trying to come against the truth, trying to persuade the Christian church off the track, trying to persuade you from biblical truth and get you to think differently, he's not just a man. He's a man who has hardened his heart. He has, over the years, sold himself under the power of the blindness of the dark forces that are operating all around us. After you have been prepared in the war room, after you have comprehended the desired goal to remain standing and and to resist, to strive against untruth in your mind, in your inner man, you had better get down one of the most elementary lessons about this battle. It is fought primarily with supernatural weapons. And they're largely weapons related to what is truth. What is truth. Paul goes on from this point not to lay out a detailed plan how to cast out demons. He doesn't go forward here on a plan how to equip you to rebuke Satan, but rather how to contend with these forces using God's supplied armor which will protect you in His truth. And isn't it ironic that the first piece He tells us to pick up is truth, which we'll look at next week. It's the first piece of armor He tells us to pick up. And why does He do so? Because the truth... Here's practical advice for spiritual embattlement. Because the truth is what God the Spirit uses to break the shackles of lies and the powers of darkness that have yoked upon the minds of unregenerate foes or unregenerate souls, I'm sorry. And it's also that which He uses to help us come out of any slumber of being entranced by temptation or sin. Paul inspired by the Spirit, doesn't circumvent the mind when waging spiritual warfare. And we see this come through on how Paul lived out his own ministry in engaging with others in spiritual warfare. Don't turn them, I'm just going to read it. 2 Corinthians 5.11 Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, he says, we persuade men. What's he persuade men by? His charisma? No, his charm, his good looks. No, with the truth. With the truth. He's engaging in spiritual warfare, clinging and standing and resisting and striving with untruth, with the truth. And we do this every day of our lives, don't we? With ourselves, especially if you're a parent raising kids, you're trying to get the thinking down right. You're, okay, that statement, son, that statement, daughter. You know, yeah, but here's what God's Word says. You see, we're doing that all the time. Now, consider with me in the book of Acts where Jesus, He is calling Paul out to share the gospel, to go engage in spiritual warfare. He has Paul do it 
through this aspect of persuading men and helping them to see. He gave him the commission to deliver the people from the Gentiles. He says, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. The world around us, 1 John teaches us, what? Is under Satan's control. The text says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. How are we going to engage in spiritual warfare at things that come against us? Or even if we go on the offense, we have to do it with the truth. This is what we saw in the book of Acts earlier when Paul went to the, uh, uh, the, 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 the local uh, synagogue there. What did he do? He opened up the Bible and he began to explain them the truth of Christ from the Scriptures. And this is what we do in spiritual warfare. This is the fundamental basic aspect of engaging in spirit-filled battle. It is simply clinging to the truth. I spent a whole hour just basically telling you guys, don't deviate far from your Bibles. The, 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 the number one thing to help you in spiritual warfare is sticking to the book, sticking to the game plan. That's your takeaway message right there. But I hope at least by seeing how some of this language is you know, tossed around in Christianity is a little bit more concretely applied, a little bit more explained. We understand these uh, means by which God gives us to, to maintain our communion with Him. Steadily looking at the cross. Steadily coming before the Lord's Supper. Being reminded of our communion with Christ. His death, burial, His resurrection. So forth and so on. Understanding that you know this cry to be this super Christian isn't necessarily the outline we see here in the spiritual warfare that Paul's preparing us for. But to be faithful and simply stand in the position that we're at. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful of where you're at. Well then, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us ask Him to help us in this. Because it is so easy for us, because of the reality of the old man, to fall into and to believe some of the wiles of the devil. Amen? It is. And so let's go to the Lord and let's ask Him to renew within us a spirit of of just childlike faith. Childlike faith. Uh, That which He used to call us to the cross. That which He used to open up our hearts to the well of truth that His Word contains. And to love it, to cherish it, to see it as the lamp under our feet and let it be the safeguard. Oh, and let it be the sword that will help us grow mature as Christians despite the inflicted wounds that might come along with it. But oh, let it be the sword of the truth that will help us engage in spiritual warfare of every kind. Individually, family level, societal level, whatever context, it's His truth. Heavenly Father, we come before You, O God. We thank You, Lord, first of all, before taking us into a conversation about the seriousness of the foes, Lord, who, O God, who have no doubt uh, an agenda which is being carried out by nonetheless of Satan himself and his legion of demons, We pray, O God, that before even beginning that discussion, uh, beginning to articulate the armor that You've given us, that You point to us, O God, away from ourselves and unto Thee. And therefore, Lord, we come before You in great humility as Your people. Lord, we pray and we seek You, confessing, O God, our sins, confessing, O God, our weaknesses, confessing, O Lord, that we are in and of ourselves not sufficient to accomplish such a task. Just, O Lord, as we found ourselves bent at the foot of the cross, realizing that You contained all power and glory, and that only by the work and the person of Jesus we could have ever hope of being cleansed from our sins and victory, Lord, over death. We now come before you, Lord, in this conversation about moving forward as Christians and, Lord, engaging in spiritual battle, uh, appropriating truth, O God, to every situation of our life. And we ask you, Father, strengthen us. O strengthen us. And by we learn today that means, Lord, 
to, Lord, engage, Father, our hearts in the most uh, important aspects of our inner man to that which you opened up to us at our conversion, that you are God Almighty, that Jesus Christ is thy beloved and only begotten Son, and that he did condescend down to us and died and, and was buried and rose again in glory, Lord, so that we could possess that same hope. Oh, God, in that way, will you please strengthen us? Father, we pray that you would help us to never let our eyes move from the power of the might of your glory exhibited in his great resurrection. And Father, when we become discouraged, when we become apathetic, will you help us look again and again to the account of your holy word to help us get out of a fog, O Lord, of the lies of our flesh, the devil, and this wicked world. We pray, Father, that you would Help us and equip us this day as we leave this place to be renewed in the power, as we just described it, of an understanding, Lord, through the instrument of faith that these things are true. This is the world in which we live, and you are king and ruler over it. Oh, God, encourage, I pray, the weak saint among us. Lord, strengthen, I pray, the weary battle, so weary, the battle-weary soldier that is in this place today. Help us to stand. Help us to stand, O Father, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen.